You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right. Good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. As you're doing that, you'll remember last week we entered into the final chapter of John and looked at the story of the miraculous catch. Um, But we also saw that there was more miracles at play in that story than just the uh, miraculous catch, right? That even the uh, the miraculous skunking the night before where the disciples did not catch anything was in and of itself a miracle because as professional fishermen, it would have been really unheard of for them not to catch fish. And so um, God, God allows their failure uh, to set the stage for this great miracle. And so you know, we talked last week that our failures and our successes are determined by God's sovereign control rather than our own expertise, reminding us that we fare far better when we trust Jesus rather than our own wisdom when it comes to our provision and care. So uh, there's sometimes where we will fail at things that we should be great at. There's other times that we're going to succeed at things that we have no business succeeding at, that we have zero expertise, zero experience in that. Um, and what it reminds us of is that God's in control of he controls our failures and our successes. He he controls when things go the way that we want them to and when they don't go the way that we want them to, that he remains in control at all times. And so uh, it's a strong reminder to us that it's better, far better to trust him than to trust ourselves when it comes to uh, our own provision and our own care, right? And so we talked about last week having this predisposition to think a certain way before something happens, right? And so we kind of compared it to how we process through things that are going on right now with the coronavirus, that if we're more prone to to be cautious, then the the articles that encourage us to be cautious are going to resonate with us. If we're more inclined to think uh, more um, more about the idea of us opening things up and getting back to normal, then the articles that we uh, find that that lend itself to th- to that type of thinking are going to resonate with us, right? So we said predisposition. We want to have a predisposition towards believing that God works in the midst of failure, right? We want to believe that before we ever experience that, so that when failures come our way, we receive them in such a way where we say, you know what, God's got something He's doing here. That, that God is in control of my failures. God is going to turn this for good, use it for good, work good in the midst of it. Um, We talked about uh, humbling ourselves, listening to others when we fail. We talked about celebrating God's divine goodness when we succeed, right? As the disciples respond to Jesus's instructions to throw their nets out again, as soon as they start seeing that success, they immediately give credit and glory to Jesus, right? Um, We talked about uh, even Peter's response being to run to Jesus at a time when Previously, when they had the miraculous catch, Peter was saying, depart from me. I'm a sinner. Like, I can't be around you, Jesus. Now that the cross has taken place, now that the resurrection has taken place, Peter's in a worse worse position maybe than previously. He's just denied Jesus. But instead of running from Jesus or telling Jesus to run from him, Peter runs to Jesus. He's got this fellowship with Jesus uh, that supersedes his sin. And we said that that story last week really helps us to see that Jesus after the resurrection is the same Jesus, that he's still a Jesus who is concerned about serving others. He's a Jesus that's concerned about providing for his people. And so nothing has changed. Even though the cross has happened, the resurrection has happened. 
those things haven't changed. If anything, they have increased, right? Um, they, they certainly haven't gone away. We don't, we don't have a disconnected, absent Jesus that no longer walks and talks with his uh, followers in a way that provides for them and cares for them. Instead, we see Jesus being very intentional to say, yes, I died. Yes, I rose again. Yes, things have changed. Things are different. But for the better, I'm still a Jesus that serves you and takes care of you and loves you, right? And so we saw that last week. And so I encouraged you to to try to fight to make sure that the things that you're reading and seeing in our culture right now are filtered through a predisposition that says that God is going to provide for us, that he's going to care for us, that he's going to take care of us, right? And so that brings us to the midway point of this chapter, verse 15, Um And we're very quickly coming to the end of our study in John. I want to start reading for us today in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but that if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Our summary sentence for today. Rather than comparing ourselves to others, Jesus calls us to show our love for him by serving others while trusting him with the story he has written for us. Rather than comparing ourselves to others, Jesus calls us to show our love for him by serving others while trusting him with the story he has written for us. For our kids, Jesus says if we love him, we should follow him by serving others. This passage is a uh, reminder to us, an encouragement to us that um, God has specific plans for us, um, and they're not the same plans that he has for other people. Um, he calls us to love him and to serve him ourselves and to not be caught up so much in how our love and service compares with how somebody else is loving and serving him as well. So rather than comparing ourselves to others, Jesus calls us to show our love for him by serving others while trusting him with the story that he's written for us. I believe that the main purpose of this passage uh, is pretty clear in that uh, Jesus is wanting to restore, reaffirm, reestablish Peter 
uh, as a as a viable disciple, as a viable, useful tool for what's about to come after the day of Pentecost and, and the, the growth of the early church. Um, by now, you know, the disciples have probably heard about the denial uh, that Peter is guilty of. And, um, you know, Peter had for, for a long time been kind of the leader of the disciples, maybe. And uh, maybe that's based off his personality, his giftings, you know, whatever that may be. Um, and now maybe that's in question. And so Jesus reestablishes Peter as kind of a point person for what is about to unfold uh, with the disciples. Um, I think a secondary purpose, John ties in here at the very end of this section. Um, we are made aware that there was a false rumor going around that John, who wrote the gospel, was going to live until Jesus came back. Um, and that false rumor had kind of uh, found its origins in this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, where Peter says, well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, you know, if I let him live until I come back, what's that to you? Keep following me. And maybe that was overheard by some other disciples. Maybe Peter misunderstood it. At some point, though, it morphed into John's not going to die until Jesus comes back. And so John writes, and before he signs off, clarifies and says, hey, that's not what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, if I were to do this, it's no concern to you. Uh, not I am going to do this. Um, although there's maybe some truth in what Jesus said there as far as it coming true and not just being an if possibility, because Jesus does allow John to most likely be the last disciple to die. So he lives probably longer than all the other disciples. And he did get to see Jesus come back, right? He sees that in the form of the book of Revelation. So John is gifted with this vision um, of what's to come in the future. So while Jesus says, if I want this to happen, it's no concern to you. In some ways it, it is a, it, it is a valid thing that does happen um, in some respects with the way that John lives longer and even sees that vision of Jesus coming back. Um, what we have taken place here in this, in this passage too, is, is a recreation of Peter's denial scene you know, most commentators point out the fact that the charcoal fire is mentioned in such a way where it's only mentioned one other time in the Gospel of John, and that's at the denial scene where Peter is gathered around a charcoal fire and denies knowing Jesus. And so you, you have to see the similarities here that um, there's three opportunities for Jesus or for Peter to affirm his devotion to Jesus, where he had had the three opportunities to do so previously and denied Jesus, that the setting is very similar. Um, and Jesus is very intentional, I think, to have the disciples present so that they can hear that affirmation that comes Peter's way as well. Uh, he asked Peter three times to affirm his love for him. Uh, some people point out the fact that um, there is a word choice playing out here as well, that Jesus is using the, the agape form of love, that high, superior, pure love, and Peter's responses are always tied to the the more brotherly phileo type love. Um, and, and some commentators point out that maybe that Jesus is saying, do you love me uh, from a superior standpoint? And Peter's response is more reserved than we saw previously uh, when he was very quick to champion the fact that he would never deny Jesus, that maybe Peter has come down to earth and is acknowledging, hey, I don't love you that much, but I love you this much. Um, other commentators say there's nothing really to pay attention to here that John is writing stylistically and that in other parts of John, he uses agape and phileo 
uh, interchangeably. Um, I tend to think that maybe there is some significance in the fact that two different words are being used here. Um, I do think there's significance in the fact that he's asked three times and we see that Peter is grieved by it because I think Peter probably recognizes what is playing out here that, that I had this chance previously and I didn't take it. Um, and, and he's reminded of that, but either way, Peter does affirm his love for Jesus three different times. Um, I do find it interesting <clears throat> that Jesus doesn't ask Peter, do you believe in me? He asks him, do you love me? Right. A lot of times when we talk about somebody's salvation, we might phrase it or, you know, frame it in a, in a way where we would say, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Right. Um, but Jesus doesn't ask it that way. He asks Peter, do you love me? Um, which would, uh, assume belief, obviously. Right. Um, but Jesus kind of skips a little bit further ahead and maybe the sanctification process and says, not just do you believe in me, but do you love me? And he's already taught his disciples that if you love me, you obey my commandments. Right. And so he's setting the stage for um, <clears throat> just even the things that he encourages Peter to do. Right. To feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Right. Um, I'm going to give you two points of application today uh, in our outline um, with a couple of points underneath each. Right. So let's jump right into it today. Number one, um, from this passage, we see that we're to show our love <clears throat> by serving others the word. Show our love by serving others the word. For our kids, Christians are to help other Christians understand the Bible. Show your love by serving others the word. Right? So we have this conversation that plays out from Jesus to Peter on three different occasions here. And maybe there's conversations that happen in between these three questions, right? Maybe there's further discussion that happens and Jesus comes back to these questions. I don't know that we have to say that Jesus just rapid fired these three questions one after another. We, we find out, you know, in just a few minutes that, or just a few verses that um, Peter or John says, I could have written man, so much more about what happened. Um, so it doesn't mean that there wasn't more going on in these conversations, but what we do know is that, in the midst of this conversation with the disciples around the fire, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Peter responds with a yes and affirmative on all, all three occasions. And that in response to him saying, yes, I love you. Jesus gives him action plans for what to do to show that. Right. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Um, he, he gives Peter guidance and instruction for what to do with that love. Right. Um, number one here in, in response to this, my love is not discounted by my failures. Um, I think that that truth rings in this passage for us as we think about Peter, his specific situation, what Peter had come through, what he had done, what Jesus is now doing in his life. It's a strong reminder to us that our love is not discounted by our failures, right? So, we, we are believers. A lot of us that are listening right now, we would call ourselves believers, followers, lovers of Jesus, right? But as Tyson was kind of alluding to during his time of singing that and some of us failed this week. You know, some of us didn't love and follow Jesus like we, like we know we should have. Um, there was maybe choices and decisions that were made this week that looking back on it, we wish we'd have done that differently. Maybe we um, said some things to our spouse or 
treated our kids a certain way, or maybe we caught ourselves uh, diving into headfirst feelings of anxiousness and worry and troubledness over the things that we're going through right now as a culture. Some of us failed this week, right? Um, But I think the, the, the encouragement that we see here is that our love isn't completely discounted by our failures, right? Because Peter even says, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know that I failed you. You know that I denied you. But at the heart of it, you know that I love you, right? And, and that's, a, that's a reminder to us that even when we fail, it doesn't completely discount our love for Jesus. Doesn't, doesn't remove that, doesn't minimize that, doesn't take it away. We are people who will believe Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus, and fail Jesus. Um, none of us are better than Peter, right? And, and we probably would do well to even uh, reach Peter's status, right? Um, we're certainly not better than Peter. And, and, and so it, it's, it's encouraging for me to look into this passage and know that as, as much as I strive to love Jesus and serve him and follow him and obey him, um, I still fail him. Um, and it doesn't discount my love for him, that, that my love is still present. It still exists. It's still growing. It's still being developed. It's still being worked on. But it's not discounted by my failures. Um, Peter's been a man that was overly confident in his allegiance to Jesus, felt like he could always be counted on to stay faithful to him, right? And he had that rug ripped out from underneath him, fell flat on his face. Um, but but the good news is that Peter's not defined by his um his denials, Peter's not denied, uh, is not defined by his failures, um, and, and neither are we, right? And, and, and ultimately, really, salvation, God's love, is, is defined by God's mercy rather than my morality. Let me say that again. Salvation is defined by God's mercy, not my morality. You know, if we're not careful, we, we, we fall back into a mindset of works and we think that if we fail Jesus this week, that maybe maybe there's a chink in our salvation armor, that, that maybe my morality is not up to par, does that now affect my standing with Jesus? The fact is, is that if you are a believer, a follower, a lover of Jesus, even though you failed this week, there is still no condemnation for you. The condemnation, the, the wrath has already been satisfied through the work of Jesus. We have to remind ourselves that. We have to preach that to ourselves regularly. Or else the enemy will, 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 will twist our thinking, right, back into a mindset of morality and, and, and have us believing that our performance is what gets us saved, right? But, but it's the fact that God shows mercy to save us rather than um, responding to our morality. Uh, there's a Puritan preacher, I'm going to show you this slide, quote, Puritan preacher, a uh, guy by the name of Richard Sibbs, who wrote The Bruised Reed, He said this in his book, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Um, I don't know if this quote helped inspire the song that we sing a lot of times, but it certainly reminds me of the song that we've sung recently, even um, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more, right? There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And that certainly rings true here with with the story of Peter. His love is not discounted by his failures. Number two, my love is not measured by the level that others love. My love is not measured 
by the level that others love. Jesus begins his questioning by asking Peter, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of speculation as to what Jesus meant by these. What's he pointing to, right? He's, he's probably using some type of hand motion to even indicate to Peter what these he's talking about, right? He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Some commentators say he's pointing at the boat and the fish and the nets. Peter, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than fishing? <clears throat> Some people think that Jesus is referencing the disciples. Peter, do you love me more than you love Peter and James and John and Andrew? Others believe that, that Jesus is referencing the disciples' love for Jesus. Peter, do you love me more than John loves me, more than um, Andrew loves me? I tend to lean towards that third option that Jesus is, is hitting on that piece because we don't really have any indication that Peter really struggled with the idea of going back to a life of a fisherman beyond this scene right here where they're fishing. We don't, we don't have any indication to think that Peter's old life was pulling at him or tugging at him. We don't have any indication ever that Peter was so enthralled or enamored with his friendships with the disciples that it would ever call into question his devotion to Jesus, right? But we do have evidence that Peter, at various times, in various conversations, when things got heated and intense, that he was willing to say, I love, I love you more than these other people. I, I love you more than, than Andrew loves you. I love you more than John loves you, right? Um, that he's, that he's, he's one who was vocal about believing that his love was maybe superior to the other disciples. In Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is going to reveal to him that the, the denial is coming, look what he says in verse 33. He, Jesus is talking about the fact that, you know, his betrayal is coming, his, his crucifixion is coming, and that the disciples are going to scatter and fall away. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Right. Peter's like, look, I can't answer for John and James and all these other guys. You, you might be right. They're all going to fall away, but not me. I love you more than they do. Right. If I have to die for you, I'll die for you. I'm not going to deny you. Now, we know, again, all that comes to naught that. He's fearful uh, and demonstrates that fear through denial. But he is quick to, to maybe champion his love as being a greater love than what some of the other disciples have been demonstrating. But that's not how God wants our love measured, right? And, and Peter doesn't affirm here when given the second chance that, that he loves Jesus more than disciples. He says, yes, I love you. You know that. Uh, but doesn't take the bait. Doesn't, doesn't respond and say, yeah, I love you more than, than the, the disciples love you per se, right? Um, our love's not measured by the level that others love. Um, Peter's assurance came from comparing his love and service to what others were doing. And we have to guard against this. We have to really protect ourselves against this. Um, because our spiritual pride is prone to think too highly of ourselves for following Jesus and how we do that and how we love others and how we serve and how we obey we think too highly of ourselves, and we think too lowly of others. Uh, too oftentimes, we are quick to judge 
others and what we think they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, and we have to be very careful against that. We don't want to be Peter in saying that, hey, we love you more than, than other disciples love you. Right? We have to guard against that. Um, my love's not measured by the love that others have. Number three, my love is demonstrated by my obedience, though. And that's what rings true in this conversation between Peter and Jesus, is that Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. And then Jesus says, then do this. If you love me, then do this. And it's specifically tied to serving the sheep with the word. Feed them, serve them, take care of them, and do it with my word. Do you love me, Peter? Then do this. Again, I told you back in the upper room, Jesus was very clear. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. If you love me, show me. Show me that love by doing this. Our concern must be for the people of Christ around us. Now, I think we make a mistake if we impress these instructions strictly on Peter and Peter only. I think we make a mistake if we press these expectations on pastors only, right? When we think in terms of feeding the sheep, it's, it's absolutely correct and right to think of a pastor as being a shepherd who is, is tasked as this under-shepherd of Jesus, who is the shepherd of the church, these under-shepherds, pastors, to be responsible for feeding the sheep. We are absolutely tasked to do that, right? Paul is very clear in Titus and in First and Second Timothy when he's talking to these two individuals who are helping plant churches, that there is a massive responsibility upon believers um, to receive um, their, their, their nutrition from responsible pastors who take their responsibility to feed it, right? Peter talks about this too uh, as well, this, this responsibility for elders to shepherd well and to feed the sheep. But it's not just the pastor's responsibility to teach others, right? The, the mandate for making disciples and teaching others extends to all believers. We all have a role to play in feeding God's sheep. It's not just a call for elder shepherds to do this. Titus chapter two, starting in verse one, there's clear instructions that older men and older women are tasked with teaching, explaining, and showing application to younger men and women. Right? And I don't think it's tied strictly to age. I think maturity is, is meant here. Um, mature Christians teach immature Christians. They grow them up in their faith. Not just pastors, but all believers have this task, have this role. We're called to help feed others in the roles that we've been called to. So for pastors, there's, there's a feeding responsibility that looks one way. But for your average church member, there's also feeding responsibilities that, that we're tasked with as well. And it's tied to the, it's tied to God's word, a diet of God's word. First Peter chapter two, we see this. In first Peter chapter two, verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If you indeed have tasted that the Lord is good. Bible also talks about our need to move from milk to meat, right? That we, we feed ourselves on God's word. Um, and we have a responsibility to have this diet. And at times it's fed to us, right? It's fed to us, whether it's from a pastor, whether it's from a 
uh, a more mature believer that's maybe not a pastor were to receive a diet of God's word. And all believers have this responsibility to help make God's word more clear to others. And Peter does this until he dies. Like Peter embraces this feed my sheep um, commission until he dies. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he's just gone through some, some gospel explanation, some gospel instruction. And it says in verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What's Peter saying? He says, look, I'm going to keep teaching this stuff. I know I've taught it to you before. I know I have fed this to you before, but I'm going to keep feeding it to you. It's that important. It's that good. And I want you to be able to recall it and know it after I'm gone. And he says, I know I'm leaving because Jesus told me I was going to die, told me how I was going to die. And I know that's coming. And I want when after I'm gone for you to be able to recall all of this, to know it so well. It's been ingrained in you. I have taught it to you. I have fed it to you, right? How does that look in our church? How, how do we equip you, empower you guys, create opportunities for you to respond to the instructions that Jesus gives to feed my sheep. Well, one of the clear ways that we've done that is through our smaller setting formats, right? What we desire is that you approach our gatherings, D group gatherings, C group gatherings, not as an environment where you simply come and sit and learn from somebody else only, right? We have structured it in such a way where we want you to embrace the responsibility to come and be a part of the feeding process, the the, the, the giving of the food process and not just the, the ingesting of it, right? Like we believe that in those settings, our mature believers have an opportunity to instruct our, our growing immature believers in the word. That it's not just my job or Adam McLeod's job or Tyson's job or Marcus's job as elders in our church, that this is, this is something where all of us have this responsibility. So, so Jesus is saying to us today, Sovereign Hope, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know we love you. Then, then feed my sheep. Then, then make my word clear to others in this church. Man, we have such a desire for you guys to embrace what is available to you in these formats, that you will study God's word, be convicted by God's word, have the Holy Spirit remind you of things about God's word, instruct you about God's word, and then you bring that to the table and say, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's how God is convicting me and challenging me and teaching me to apply God's word so that we can help grow each other up in our faith. We do that in D groups, we do that in C groups when we come together to, to further discuss passages of scripture that we're talking about. Why? Because we have a responsibility to feed the sheep. We have a responsibility to feed the sheep, and that is extended to people beyond just the elders, right? Mature men and women helping to teach younger men and women how to, how to live out their faith. And that means that you come to D group, you come to C group with a different mindset than just, oh, it's C group time, it's D group time. I guess I'll show up and kind of see what, what happens and see what people say, right? 
Instead, like when you grasp the fact that what Jesus says is feed my sheep and here's a chance to feed the sheep is that you say, you know what? I'm going to study God's word. I'm going to come prepared to D group, come prepared to C group to be able to share what I'm learning in my time in the word. To, to help make clear a passage of scripture that maybe has been unclear for somebody. And I hope you'll hope you'll see that D groups this week for our women, it's an opportunity for you to help feed each other, right? To, to bring each other to the word and help make that clear, help make that clear in ways that it's unclear, to, to, to relay what God is teaching you and to, to help pass that along and to, to help in, 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 in a lot of ways to take our younger believers and help grow them up in their faith. Peter was was tasked to feed the sheep with a steady diet of God's word. And this is how we show that we love Jesus. Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He says, Peter, then then feed my sheep. Serve other people. Help help bring them to the word. Help grow them in their faith. And we're tasked to do that as well. We're tasked to do that as well. Number two, Not only do we show our love by serving others in the word, we show our commitment by embracing our story. Show your commitment by embracing your story. For our kids, God has a unique plan for your life. Show your commitment by embracing your story. Three quick points right here about this. Number one, my story has been written by a God who knows everything. Man, just let that just soak over you for a second that, that God knows everything. And Peter acknowledges this um, in this conversation here back in John chapter 21. He acknowledges and says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. In the, in the context, I think that that's extremely encouraging to Peter because if there's a wordplay going on here, Peter's saying, God, you know I don't love you to this level. You know I'm kind of right here at this level right now but you know that those denials aren't me. They're not what's true most about me, right? Like I love you. I follow you. I I desire you. I want to obey you. I've still got a long ways to go maybe before I get to that agape pure love. But right now I'm right here. And I think Peter's encouraged by the fact that, that God knows everything and he can rest in that. Um, God knows me exactly where I am, even when it may not be obvious to others. Right? God knows us intimately and knows our love for him, even when maybe we look like a failure to other people. Um, we don't have to advocate for ourselves to Jesus. Right? We've all been in situations where uh, maybe back when we were in school, something plays out, a teacher gets on to us and thinks that we're the one that is doing the talking or the, the, the disruption and we're, we're found guilty of it, and, and we're, we're, we're compelled to say, look, it wasn't me. I wasn't the one talking. It was this person, right? Because we know the teacher doesn't know everything. The teacher doesn't get the big picture. The teacher has missed it, right? Maybe we laugh, but it was because this guy right here is telling me jokes and won't be quiet, right? Teacher doesn't know everything. Our boss doesn't know everything, right? But Jesus does. Jesus knows everything. Um, and that, that should be a great encouragement to us that the story that God has written for us is a God who knows everything. He knows us where we are, even when it's not obvious to others. He also knows exactly where to take us, even if it's not where we would choose to go, right? Jesus tells Peter that as he continues to age, as he gets older, he's going to end up going places that he doesn't want to go. 
that his story is going to lead him to places that he would not choose himself. It goes back to what we've been saying for a long time. God oftentimes brings us circumstances that we would never choose ourselves, but it's part of the story that he's writing for us, right? He's already written it. He's now unfolding it and we're seeing it, right? And he knows everything. He knows exactly where to take us, even when it's not where we would choose to go. Our story is written by a God who knows everything. Number two, my story has unique opportunities for me to glorify God. It has unique opportunities for me to glorify God. And we're told this about Peter here in verse 19. Jesus tells him, this is, this is how you're going to die. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. One of Peter's unique opportunities to glorify God would be through the way that he died. It's widely accepted that Peter died by crucifixion, widely accepted that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way Jesus died, right? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to glorify me in your death. The type of death that you're going to die, this stretching out type of death where your hands are stretched out in the form of crucifixion, you're going to glorify me in the way that you die. Get this, when you serve a God who knows everything, tragedies are no longer meaningless. Let me say that again. When you serve a God who knows everything, and that's what Peter says. Peter says, Lord, you know everything. When you serve a God who knows everything, tragedies aren't meaningless anymore. Right? We saw this back with Lazarus in John chapter 11, verse 4 and 40. Right? Lazarus dies. What does Jesus say? This is for God's glory. This, this situation, these circumstances are going to result in God's glory. They're not meaningless. Right? What does Paul say about his own death? You flip to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says, I want to die a certain way. He says, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Man, we want to live in such a way that we die in such a way, right? Like, I want to live my life in such a way that when I die, I'm glorifying God. I want to die in such a way where I glorify God. And, and that's what Peter's told is going to happen to him, that he's going to die a certain way, and it's going to result in God's glory. Now, I posed in our question this morning, if you were told that you were going to die a martyr's death, would that make it easier or harder to follow Jesus? Let me, let me tell you, show you two different perspectives for how Peter could have heard this, right? Perspective number one, Peter, you are going to die a horrible death if you follow me, right? For some of us, that's how we would hear this news. Peter, you follow me? You're going to die horrible death. You're, you're going to be stretched out. You're going to die by crucifixion. Some of us would say, I don't know if I want to do this, right? Like, I don't know if I want to follow you if that's how it's going to end, right? But look at perspective number two. Peter, you're going to remain faithful to the very end. Think about the message that Jesus is really saying here, right? Peter, all during this time of following Jesus, he keeps trumpeting up and saying, everybody else might deny you, Jesus, but not me. Everybody else may fall away, but not me. Jesus, even if I have to die, I'm not going to deny you, right? Then he denies it. 
what does Jesus say here? What's Jesus doing here? I think Jesus is giving him this nod of encouragement. Are you saying, Peter? Let me tell you something, buddy. You're going to die. And you're going to die not denying me, but glorifying me. You're going to get exactly what you've been talking about. You, you, you're you're going to get a second chance on the big grand stage where people are telling you, just deny Jesus and we'll let you go free. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to stand strong during that time. You're going to be faithful during that time. And, and you're going to die following me. For some of us, that's, that's bad news. You're going to die by crucifixion. It can be really good news, though, right? Peter, you don't, you don't walk away from the faith. You don't abandon me for the things of this world. You don't get caught up in the treasures of this world. You, you, don't, you don't falter in your faith when you're put to the test. You, you pass the trial of fire, and you, you remain faithful to the very end. That's what Jesus tells him here, right? That his story has a unique opportunity to glorify him, to glorify God. Number three, my story has intentional differences from those around me. My story has intentional differences from those around me. We must avoid comparing our lot to the lot of others. God's plans are different for each of us. Now, we see this ring very true in Peter's next discussion with Jesus, right? They have this powwow where he gets to tell Jesus he loves him three times. Then Jesus tells him, man, I, I, I'm so glad that you love me. Feed my sheep and, and I'm going to let you die for it, right? Then they have this side conversation where Peter sees John coming up. And I, I picture John just kind of being this young, goofy, um, hyper uh, kind of a disciple, right? And Peter kind of looks back at him and says, what about that guy though, Jesus? Like what's going to happen to him? Like he's... He's, he's so goofy and different and funny, and we love him, but like, what happens to John, right? And Jesus looks at him and says, it really doesn't matter what happens to John, Peter. Like, don't compare what's going to happen to you to what's going to happen to John. Just follow me. Just follow me. And he says, if I want him to live until I come back, it doesn't matter. Just, just follow me, right? Here's what, here's what I think is, is, is being just yelled at from this passage to me is that I should not expect consistency in how God writes your story and in how he writes my story. We shouldn't expect, but we do, right? Like we're like our little kids when if I tell AJ, hey, if you'll go, if you'll go do this for me, um, I'm going to give you a sucker, right? Like, hey, AJ, if you'll go clean this up, I'll give you a sucker. AJ goes and cleans it up, gets a sucker. And then my uh, then Mally and Abram are like, where's our suckers at? Why did we get a sucker? Right? And you like, you feel like, yeah, y'all go get a sucker too, right? Because because I gotta be fair. I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta get, do what I do for one, I gotta do for everybody. Right? And like we 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 fall into this trap of thinking, man, if if God's allowing this person over here to get a raise and to get a better job because in our minds, because they're such a good Christian, right? Why am I not getting a raise? And why am I not getting into school? And why am I not getting married? And why am I not getting pregnant? Right? Like we, we fall prey to this mindset that, hey, I'm watching their story over here. Why is that not my story too? Right? What, what God's doing for this person, he's obligated to do it for me as well. Why? Because I love Jesus more than that person does. Right? It goes back to what, 
what Peter was guilty of on the other side was, man, I love you more than the rest of them. Jesus says, Peter, quit worrying about what's going to happen to John. You've got your own story. You've got your own ending to your story. John's is going to look different. I'm not going to even tell you what John's is, but it's different. But just follow me and follow me in your story, right? Embrace your story because I'm a Jesus that knows everything, right? And and, and I'm a Jesus that um, is going to give you unique opportunities to glorify the Father. That's what Jesus is telling Peter here, right? Like, I know everything. I'm taking you places to where you're going to have unique opportunities to glorify God. Don't worry about what John's doing. John's got a different story, and he's got different ways to glorify God. But this is your story, and you get to glorify God with this story. And stop comparing yourself to everybody else's story. That's so convicting for me because I am so tempted to compare and to think that God should be doing it the same way for me that he's doing it for somebody else. I think a lot of us have a real tendency to compare what is happening to us with what is happening to others. I was was battling this temptation, and I shared it with our our D group on Wednesday night um, because our passage this this month is, is talking about treasures in heaven, treasures on earth, right? The beginning of the week, we um, we went around and we were telling we were giving teacher appreciation gifts to our teachers, right? So I went to 35 different houses for my teachers, and some of them are awesome, right? Like some of these people have have spouses who make a lot of money, and they've got big grand houses and toys and and things and and just I man, God has really blessed them materially, and, and I had to really guard and protect my eyes. Because every house we stopped at, I'm thinking, why don't I have that? Why why, why don't I have these things? Right? Like, I'm faithful. Like, I'm I'm doing things well. I'm a hard worker. Like, why is God not giving me these things? And and as I'm studying this passage, I feel like Jesus is kind of saying to me, Adam, quit worrying about their story. Quit worrying about what house they have. Quit worrying about what they're doing. Like, they have their own ways of glorifying me. Your, Your ways look different. Right, like your your ways are are unique to you. Um, not all of us are going to suffer in the same way, and not all of us are going to be blessed in the same way. But if we're faithful to follow Christ, we're going to see both. Right, we're going to see times of blessing where God does something just grand and miraculous for us, and there's other times where God's going to have to take us through the valley of the shadow of death, and and it may be that we're going through the valley of the shadow of death when somebody else is eating in green pastures, and things are just awesome for them, and things are hard for us. Two different stories though. Jesus says, Peter, quit worrying about what's going to happen to John. This is what's happening to you and you get to glorify me in it. When we're tempted to compare, we need to just keep following because that's what Jesus tells Peter. Just follow me. Don't worry about what's going to happen to John. Just follow me. Just trust me. He has a purpose for what he's taking us through. It's not meaningless. It's not random. It's God's will for us. Right, because he he highlights the fact that what happens to you and what happens to John is part of God's will. Right? Look what he says. Jesus said to him, "If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me." And it's all shaped by God's will. It's not random and meaningless. It's designed, and we may not fully understand all of his purposes in sending us certain sufferings. But we should never doubt that he does have a purpose in it. And we can entrust ourselves to this type of God, right? In 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're almost done. 
First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Just follow me, Jesus says. Do what I tell you to do and trust me with your destiny. Terry posted a great quote that I wanted to include this morning. Um, My religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself with that but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. What's what's he saying there? He's saying like, I am so resolved that God is so in control that I can be just as restful and peaceful in battle as I am in bed because I've completely trusted my story to God, right? God's written this story for me and it's not going to look like everybody else's story. He's going to bless me in ways that he doesn't choose to bless somebody else. He's going, to, he's going to challenge me in ways that he doesn't challenge somebody else. And that's okay because that means we each have unique ways to glorify him with the blessings and the challenges that he brings to us. And we can feel safe and secure when we have that type of trust. When we've entrusted ourselves to that type of God, man, we can rest at all times during the day knowing that our story is a design story by a God who knows everything. Right. If our lives are in God's hands, if our salvation is in God's hands, then surely our manner of death is equally in God's hands. Let me close with that. If our lives are in God's hands, right? Like if we have this belief that God is in control of our life, and if we believe that God is in control of our salvation, or our salvation is in His is in God's hands, then surely our manner of death is equally in God's hands. He gives meaning to tragedy, right? From the worldly perspective, Peter's death is a tragedy that he has to go through crucifixion for being obedient to Jesus. From God's perspective, it was designed because God received glory from it, which means that God can receive glory through your death too. Whether you die a martyr's death or not, you can live in such a way where you trust him through the good times and the bad times. You've entrusted your soul to him That allows you to die whenever that day comes in such a way where God will be glorified in your death. Our application for today, number one, in what ways are you actively seeking to feed God's word to others? If you love me, feed my sheep, right? What is it that you're doing to actively seek to feed God's word to others, whether that's to your family, to your friends, to your fellow church members, what ways are you seeking to feed God's word to others? Number two, what unique aspects of your story are occurring right now that give you opportunity to glorify God, right? Let's get our eyes off of what's happening to other people around us and how God is blessing them or challenging them. Let's put our eyes back on our story. What are things that God is doing in my story right now that gives me this unique opportunity to glorify him. Peter was going to die a unique death that was going to give him an opportunity to glorify God in a unique way. What things have God has God brought into your life right now that gives you a unique way to honor him and glorify him? It's part of your story. 
You're not worried about somebody else's story. You're worried about your story. How do you get to glorify God with your story right now? Our family worship questions for this week. Number one, in what ways has God uniquely blessed our family, giving us reason to praise him? In what ways has God uniquely challenged our family, giving us reason to trust him? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you that that Peter is a an encouragement to all of us that in the midst of our failures, restoration can occur. That our love doesn't have to be completely discounted and thrown out the window when we fail. God, we know that we all failed you at some point this week. And we know that we can all show up today and say we still love you and know that you still love us. But God, help us to embrace the responsibilities that come with saying that we love you. That if we love you, we will feed your sheep. God, help us to see that we have a big responsibility, a big opportunity and privilege to help make your word clear to other people around us. God, help us to embrace that responsibility, to to be a discipler of others that studies your word and then teaches the word to others. God, help us to have eyes that are focused on our story and not comparing ourselves to others and how you're working in their life. God, help us to rejoice over the stories of others. Help us to celebrate the stories of others and how you're blessing others and glorifying yourself through others. But God, help us not to desire and covet their stories. Help us to be content with the story that you've given to us. Lord, help us to to respond to Jesus's words to Peter. Hey, just keep following me. Don't don't worry about what's going to happen to John. Just keep following me and, 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 and letting your story play out. God, help us to be content with the stories that you've given us. Help us to look for the unique opportunities and ways that we can glorify you in the midst of those stories. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.